Good morning again. Last year, I had a conversation with my nephew, he's 33, and I asked him this question. I said, and he's following the Lord, I said, how come we've lost so many of your generation? So many of that generation that grew up in the church are no longer following Christ. I said, how come? And he thought for a while, and he gave me a great answer. He said, because the church does not give us a safe place to ask hard questions. He said, we have real questions, real struggles, and when we harbor questions and don't feel the freedom to ask them without feeling like we'd be looked down on or criticized, we bury them in our soul, and kind of like an old sock or a dead rat, they begin to stink. And eventually, we either have to find the source of the stench and deal with it, or we go somewhere else. Pretty good answer, really. Um, I don't want City Hill to be that church. I don't want us to be a place where we are afraid to ask the hard questions that may not be totally acceptable to, or at least we think so, to the people around us. And so this month, I'm dedicating these four sermons in November to hot topics, topics that just a few of the topics, there's actually quite a few out there, but some of the topics that are barriers or that can be struggles for us as Christians. They're painful, they're difficult, at times they're divisive. And so many a pastor, probably wiser than me, would say, Kent, don't do that. Um, why don't you just preach on the love of God? Jesus loves you. And that is the best preaching. I love preaching on things that make y'all happy. But I just believe that these are topics that must be addressed. And there's more than we'll get to this month. And sometimes my best answer may be, I don't know. Is that okay? I'm not the answer man that has it all, but I do believe very firmly that we find all the important issues of life here in the Word of God. And this will be our authority. So, the Word of God is true. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And the more that we can dig into the Word of God, the more that we understand who God is, the heart of God, and we know better how to live our lives here. So, this morning, November 3rd, we're going to talk about the truth about hell. And I have subtitled this topic, Hell No. Um, November 10th, next week, we're going to be, Scott will be in our pulpit. And may I just say something? I really want to challenge you to be with us Saturday morning from 9 to 12. Scott, I have the privilege, Scott, I've known since college days. We were in church together out in California grew in the Lord together as brothers and as friends, went on trips together, uh, and God has raised him up as a national voice in the issue of defending the unborn. And may I say that his voice, he speaks with great clarity and also great compassion for those who have suffered abortions or been involved in any way. He is not a, a shouter, a condemner. He is a man that's very bright and will help us better understand how to talk about this very important issue in our society today. So Scott Klusendorf, he's the president of 
Life Training Institute. Really encourage you to do everything you can. Bring people along. Other churches are welcome. This isn't just a City Hill activity, but that will be next weekend, Saturday morning, a seminar, and he'll be preaching next Sunday. And then the 17th, at this point, my plan is to preach on the will of God, how to know the will of God for your life. It's one of the major questions we have as Christians. How do you really know if what you're doing is God's plan for your life? And then on the 24th, one of the age-old questions I think we have to hit head on is, this is one of the questions, if you ask a non-Christian about God, they'll come up with this brilliant original question, which has been around for 2,000 years or more. If God is so good, then why all the suffering? Why all the pain? Why all the brokenness if God is so good? So we'll attempt to deal with some of those um, tough questions throughout this month. And I will tell you, I may not answer all your questions. I will also say you probably won't like all the answers you hear. That's okay. Go to your life group. We want our life groups to be places where you can discuss those things. You don't have to agree with me. But when we're talking about it, let's continue to go back to the Word of God. Not just your opinion or what somebody said on the radio. We'll go back to what does the Word of God say about these issues. And here's, so here's some ground rules for this month. Ready? Number one, there's room in our church to disagree. There is room in this church to disagree. It's funny, people say, I don't want to be a clone. We don't want to be clones, and then we look for churches where everybody agrees with us on everything, which kind of sounds like a clone, doesn't it? We want to be a church that has the banks of the river are the major tenets of faith that we hold dearly true, that there's salvation in Jesus Christ alone, that there is one God, and there's other truths that we hold very dearly. And those are the banks of the river. But within the banks of the river, there is room for us to talk and debate and go out for coffee and be challenged. That's how the Jews learned things. They learned it through dialogue and debate. And they would, they would challenge each other. And that activated their minds so that they would work through these issues and grow and learn. I was in a seminary house in California. And that was our sport over dinner. Somebody would just throw a topic out there, and then we'd just battle. We'd throw food. We'd yell at each other. We, and it was great. It's like, what? And sometimes we'd take positions we didn't even agree on, just for the fun of debating these issues. And we learned, and we grew. So there's room in our church to disagree, but may we do it respectfully and kindly. That doesn't mean you don't throw food, but it does mean that we're kind to each other, and we give people room to have different thoughts and different convictions on those issues. Number two, questions are good and welcome. God wants us to honor the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and, and our mind. He wants you to think. Don't close off your mind. I, I, it bugs me when I hear Christians go, well, just believe. Okay, well, it's good to believe. But if, if just believe means shut up and quit thinking and just do what I say... That's not how the Lord set things up. He wants us to honor the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And to do that by knowing the word of God better. Knowing what the word of God says on these issues. 
And that'd be my third point, that the word of God is our rock, our light, our path, our authority. So often we look at it that we are judging the word whether we like it or not. You want to know something? It's true whether you like it or not. It stands as our authority in this world, not us in judgment of the word of God. The word of God stands as our authority. Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto our path. And that there's no better place we can be than under the authority illuminated by the word of God. So Father, I pray that today, God of all truth, God of all light, that you would shine your light on this very difficult topic today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, my topic is the truth about hell. Most of you received my email asking for feedback about the existence and the reality of hell. And I found that we have a church full of comics here at City Hill. So I, in all deference, would like to read you some of their responses <laughs> this morning. One said, what the hell do I know about it? I appreciate their honesty and candor and humility. Um, one said, as a preacher, I should give them hell. Another said, they were afraid that the pastor would scare the hell out of me. Um, another said that uh, certainly hell is a hot topic and it goes on. So those are the acceptable ones that I could share with you without my wife saying, honey, you can't say that from the pulpit. So I start with a little bit of levity because this is not an enjoyable topic. I realize I've been in the pulpit for over 30 years and I have never preached on hell before. I've made commentaries on it. I've made reference to it. I'd far rather preach on heaven. I'd far rather preach on redemption, on the love of God. Those are much more enjoyable topics. And as I studied this week, I spent the week reading books and looking through the scriptures and praying and really sobered me. Um, you can't, I wanted the levity to be at the beginning because this is not a topic we can make jokes about, at least as we talk it through in reality. Here's some of the hard questions that came through. Where is hell? How do we know if our lost loved ones or will be in heaven or in hell? Does the answer help us live a better life? One said, hell has been a big block in my faith and my understanding of a loving God. One said, hell is a place I don't want to go to. I'd say they got that right. And probably the main question that kind of encapsulates all of this is, how could a good God send anyone to hell and torment them there forever? How can that be a good God? And that's the question that people continually circle back to. And personally, just the doctrine of hell, as I've heard about it, as I've heard preaching on it, as I've read about it, as I've looked into it, as I've been taught it growing up in the church, is a very difficult 
theological concept for me. I wish I could erase it. I wish I could change it. Honestly, what I'm saying in those statements are, if I were God, if Kent Norell was God, I would have set up the universe differently, as if I know better than God. And the good news today is, I am not God. And everybody said, amen. Um, I would hope you would trust in the goodness of Almighty God more than anything I could say, more than any opinion or great wisdom I would throw out. We stand as his creators, as the pot looking at the, the potter. And we stand in honor and deference to his word. But it's a tough one. Here's some statements from some of the founders of our faith. Things that make me very uncomfortable. Martin Luther in the 1500s insisted that we will relish seeing our unbelieving loved ones suffer there forever. I quote, Augustine said that this vision of hell will somehow delight us in heaven since having any pity would dampen our joy there. This is the teaching that we inherit as Christians. And maybe that's why I've never preached on hell before. C.S. Lewis heard a preacher preach on the judgment of God. And this is a preacher's quote. If you do not give your hearts to Jesus, you will suffer severe eschatological ramifications. Afterwards, C.S. Lewis asked him, did you mean that they would go to hell? The man said, precisely. C.S. Lewis's response was, then say so. Severe eschatological ramifications. So I will try to say it clearly this morning. And if you're, a new, if you're a guest to us and you're visiting us, this is not the normal tenor of my preaching, but praise the Lord, God has you here this morning. Not believing in hell does not make it go away. Nor does turning away from God because you may not vote in favor of the way he has established the universe. Not liking the fact that sin does not go unpunished does not exempt you from the reality that God punishes sin. Putting your head in the sand does not make the world go away. It may change your perspective, but the reality remains. So what does the Bible, this is where I get back, what does the word of God say about hell? Before we launch into that topic, let's first remember what we know about the character of God. What do we know about God? We know that God is good. We know that he's a God of love. We know that he's a God of great compassion, a God of mercy. We know these things to be true. We also know in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is patient with you, with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Say everyone. everyone. That's the heart of God. So you can look at anyone and say, God, what do you, do you want that person? Yes, that's a person. That God wants everyone. His heart and his plan is that you and everyone would come 
to repentance. He doesn't want to see anyone perish. That's what we know about God. So as we study the Bible about hell, these truths about God never change. Sometimes you look at them and go, how can those two both be true? That's part of the mystery of our God that we don't fully understand. But we're going to try to get some light on these things this morning. So what does the Old Testament tell us about hell? It's pretty interesting. I learned a lot, and if I got some of these things off a little bit, talk it over in the life group, send me an email, let's have some fun discussing these things. Fun probably isn't the proper word at that point. <laughs> let's grow in God as we discuss these things. So before the death and resurrection of Christ, I'll put the Old Testament up to that point, when people died in the Old Testament, both the righteous and the unrighteous, their bodies went to the grave. We are body, soul, and spirit. Their bodies went to the grave, but their soul went to Sheol. Say that word with me. Sheol. I don't think that's swearing. Um, they went to Sheol, which is the place of the souls of the dead. All of them. So when you died, the soul went to Sheol, where the souls awaited judgment. But inside of Sheol, there were two different areas in Sheol. One was Abraham's bosom, which where the righteous God-fearers went, where the angels carried Lazarus. So that was a place of the God-fearers, the righteous. They went to Abraham's bosom and they awaited there. But the wicked, the Bible speaks of the wicked, they went to Hades, which is a place reserved for them. So where is this place? Well, the Bible speaks of it, at least figuratively, but the Bible speaks of it as under the earth in Numbers 16. I'm not going to read all these passages of Scripture, but you could make note. Under the earth in Numbers 16, it's like a city with gates. Isaiah 38.10, it has bars that hold the people in. Job 17 it's a land of darkness. We may think of it as having light because there speaks of fire, but it's a land of darkness where shades or the shadowy souls of men dwell. Isaiah 14 and Isaiah 26. It's a land of forgetfulness and where no work is done. Ecclesiastes 9. It's a place where no one praises God. Psalm 6, Psalm 88. So Hades proper, that side of Sheol, is a place of torment where fire causes anguish to the souls imprisoned there. I would say to me, and I think this is all a part of it, hell is a place where you experience the absence of God. And you don't experience the presence of God only here during a beautiful time of worship. The world experiences the presence of God throughout their days, whether they know it or not. And I just can't imagine that sense of loss or being a place where God was not. The absence of God, I think, is one of the greatest aspects of Hades. Juxtaposed to that is Abraham's bosom, which is the other hand of Sheol, which within shouting distance of Hades, it's separated by a great chasm. Luke 16, 26. 
and its place, it's a place of comfort and rest for the righteous, for those who have, were followers of God. So hell in the New Testament, there are three words that are used for hell. One is the grave, or the place of departed souls. In Acts 2.21, it's speaking of Christ, and it says, his soul was not left in hell, the grave, neither his flesh did see corruption. The second word is a word, tartaros, which the deepest abyss of hell. This is used in 2 Peter 2.4. It says, if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, deliver them to chains of darkness to, reserve, to be reserved for judgment. And the third word, but that word tartaros is never used in relationship to humans. And the third word for hell is gana, which is found in verses such as Matthew 5.22, whoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. You know, when I read that verse, you know, have you ever called somebody a fool? You think, well, big deal, right? I, I, don't, I just try to stay away from those words. I mean, seriously, I look at it and I go, I don't know all what that means, but probably good words to stay away from calling people a fool. They're in danger of hellfire. It was a garbage dump. Gena was a garbage dump, they think, although that's debated. A lot of this is debated, but there was a garbage dump in Israel, and it was a place that kept burning. It was a valley where the trash was thrown, and it was a place that continually burned, so therefore it was considered to be a reference point or an illustration of hell. So when Jesus died and was in the grave for three days, 1 Peter 3.19 says, This Jesus, who by the same Spirit by which he raised from the dead, preached to the lost spirits in prison. Many believe that Jesus went to Sheol, to the place where the souls of the dead, and he went to the righteous who were awaiting redemption. And those who had followed God and were waiting, Jesus went there and spoke and said, let me tell you about the plan of the Messiah. The Messiah has come, and he led captives into freedom. I never really understood that, and that's my best understanding after I've read through this, that Jesus went and preached to those who were in Abraham's bosom and spoke freedom to them and told them of God's plan of redemption. So that's what the Bible somewhat speaks of. But let me ask, ask a couple questions that you guys threw at me. What about those in Africa who never hear the name of Jesus? You ever heard that question? What about them? Well, when I'm asked that question, they say, do they all go to hell? Everybody who's never had a chance, what kind of God, what, kind of, what fairness would that be? Well, I go back to the character of God. Character of God says God is good. God is just. God is righteous. God is loving. His ways are above my ways and his thoughts above my thoughts. And like we said in 2 Peter 2.9, it's not the will of God that any should perish, that all would come to repentance. And this particular question, I think, is answered fairly clearly in Romans 1.19. Paul says, so what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. 
So I believe God reveals himself to them through his incredible creation. And I've heard many stories of people who have never seen a Bible, never heard the name of Jesus, but in their looking into the heavens, in their looking into the world that God has made, has had Christ revealed to them. And God, by his mercy, has brought them to people who could explain that more fully through the scriptures. And I know that God's first plan is that everybody would hear the name of Jesus. I believe it's the plan and the spiritual right that every person in this world would be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them in their own language, in the culture, in a way they can understand and have the option, the opportunity to open their heart to Christ or to reject him. And that's one of the reasons we send missionaries. In fact, it's the reason we send missionaries. We want to show mercy to the poor. We want to show kindness to those who are suffering, those that need houses. We all do that. But the bottom line goal is that people would know the love of God. They would know the Redeemer. They would know of Jesus Christ and have the opportunity to enter into relationship with him. That's God's first plan. So we leave the rest of that to the mercies of God. Say, God, we know you love them. And while we're trying to get more people there to preach the word and to get the word there, God, continue to show your mercy on those who are waiting. So the real question comes up, how can a good God send people to hell to suffer eternally? Anybody got a great answer on that? Let me try it, okay? And we can talk it over later. I want to start by saying I believe it's wrong to speak of God sending people to hell. I think the question is off. I think we have a God that rescues us from hell. When my children would always speak of fairness, you know, somebody got a bigger piece of the Rice Krispie bar or something, and somebody got to play Nintendo first, and it's not fair they would scream. Justice is based in our soul. We know when it's unfair, right? When you're waiting in a long line and somebody cuts in front of you, you go, hey, that's not fair. Anywhere in the world, that's not fair. Everybody understands line, the sense of fairness, and my kids would scream, that's not fair. And I, you've heard me say this, but I'd say, you know, fairness would be that we all go to hell. Like, Dad, Dad, you know, I, I just want the Rice Krispie bar. Don't, 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 you know, Dad. That's what you get when you're the kid of a, of a preacher, right? My poor children. Um, but I, kind, I, I go back there with him because fairness is that we have sinned and when we sin, we deserve judgment. But God in his mercy, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, didn't hate the world, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever, that's like everybody, Whosoever believes in him should not perish, should not go to hell, but have eternal life. That's the God we serve. So when they say, how would God send them to hell? I believe that God is the rescuing God. It says in Ezekiel 33, 11, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
God doesn't see the wicked die and move towards their destiny in hell and find some joy in that. His heart is to rescue us from hell. I do believe that free will is very free and very powerful. And that part of the way that God set up this world is he gave us freedom to choose. And that God honors the choice of each individual whether they choose to follow God and obey him and honor him in our life or whether we choose to not and go our own way. And I believe God honors those choices. So therefore, I do not believe that it's right to speak of God sending us as if he finds some joy or fulfillment in that. Is the punishment eternal? How about that question? These are hard questions, guys. Here's my profound answer. Ready? I don't know. I grew up, all my teaching, all my training was absolutely is. But as I've read and searched and tried to understand that there is a, there's a strong case for eternal suffering, there's also a pretty strong case against it. And the against it would speak of there would be an end of life. And I've just read some scriptures in a whole new way in looking at this. Is hell eternal? Yes. Is hell eternal? Yes. Do people suffer there eternally? It's debatable, says your pastor. I'm sure I'll probably get some emails on that that is not debatable. But that's where we can talk and look back to the scriptures. Ezekiel 8.4 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It doesn't say that the soul will live forever in hell in forever torment in Ezekiel. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I've known that verse since childhood. Notice it didn't say here the wages of sin is eternal suffering. Eternally you would suffer forever. Or you'd be with Christ forever. It says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That God gives life to us. So these are some of the verses that could easily be understood that there would be an ending of life for those who are not followers of Christ. But what I do know is that you don't want to go to hell. And you don't want anybody you know or anybody you don't know to go to hell. And whether it's a day or a year or a thousand years or an eternity, it's, not, it's, an, it's an awful place. And it is a reality. So I want to say what we know. I was even just reading just one more statement. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. It's interesting. I just never read it in relation thinking towards hell. Perish, it's not, it speaks of an ending, a perishing. But there are other scriptures, may I say, where you speak of an eternal torment. So I can give you the, my 
final conclusion, I don't know. Um, my hope would be that it would not be eternal torment. I would hope, but I am not the writer and I am not God. And it doesn't really change my perspective that I don't want to go there. And I want to do everything to rescue an empty hell and fill heaven with everything I have in my life. So what do we know for sure? Pastor just preached and said he didn't know. Well, there you go. So what do I know? I know that hell is real. I think it's not a figurative, it's not, I've, I've read things that say, well, it's, you know, life on earth is hell and this is what hell is. Oh, no. That life on earth can be hell for a lot of people, but that's not what the scriptures are talking about here. And that I've heard people say, well, you know, I, I want to go to hell because that's where I'm going to party with all my buddies. Yeah, it's not going to be a party. There's no parties in hell. There's no joy in hell. There's isolation and darkness. I also know there comes a day of judgment. The scripture says, it is appointed unto man to die once, Hebrews 9, 27, and after that comes the judgment. So the concepts of reincarnation or we're going to be, come back and get other choice. It's appointed unto man to die once. Say once with me. Once. once. This is it, folks. And then there is a judgment. And Revelations 20, 13 says, And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I am eternally grateful that my name has been written in the book of life. And I and you can say that with confidence if you've put, in, put your heart and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we know? We know that sin separates us from God and there's terrible consequences. People want to avoid talking about sin, call it oops, or opinions, or natural desires. The Bible calls it sin. Isaiah 59 says, Your iniquities and your sins have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not hear. I believe that's sin, unrepented sin. What do we know? We know that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that God, in his great mercy, has sent us a Savior. Praise God. A Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a Savior. Just say the word Savior. What's a Savior do? He saves. What does he save us from? He saves us from hell. That's pretty amazing. If I was going to die and someone saved me, my appreciation, my love for that person would know no end. We have a Savior. And he saves us to grant us eternal life. Not just save us from hell, but to grant us eternal life. You know, Rob Bell has a book out, and I used to be a Rob Bell fanatic. I loved his videos. Still, God bless the man, but he, in his book, Love Wins. I've read the book. I've read it with my kids. I think it's good to read books that you don't agree with. 
make us think. We read through the book, and in Love Wins, it's a beautiful book. And it says, you know, the reality is, is that God's love is so good, so amazing, so irresistible that you can't resist it. And so in the end, we all bow our knee to the love of God, and we all go to heaven forever and ever. Isn't that pretty? It's pretty. It's just not true. And I like the sounds of that. But as I kept reading it, as I read it, I had this sense, this, this sense in my gut, and I thought, what is that I'm feeling? And to me, the best I can describe it as I read it was a lack of the fear of God. And were I to preach that sermon to you, you might leave here happier today, maybe. But it's a very dangerous thing to preach something that's opposed and not supported by the word of God because people's eternal destiny is at stake. And that's not something we can play with. The rebuttal to Rob Bell's book is Erasing Hell by Francis Chan. And if you really want to study this topic anymore, this is a really good book on the topic. And the more I read it, the more I like Francis Chan. He's a man that loves Jesus and wants to walk in the fear of God and in honoring the scriptures. And he'd agree with me. He says, I wish, this, I wish it could be different. But this is what Chan says. He says, if there were no hell and everyone goes to heaven, then why do we need Jesus? Why do we need a Savior if we're all going to heaven? Did Jesus just make a mistake because Jesus didn't really get it? And so he came here, suffered, and was crucified because he didn't know as much as me or Rob no, Rob wouldn't say that, I don't think. But I think that's a, if we're all saved because God's love is so great and no one goes to hell, then we really don't need a Savior to save us from it. Just want to end with a story about a friend of mine named Ramon Munoz. I think we have a picture of him here. This is Ramon, his wife, Aniseni. These are my friends in Dominican Republic. Ramon drove a motorcycle. He was not a good man. You think of all the sins, he was good at all of them. This was a man that worked the streets, found any way to make money, women, drugs, alcohol. The man was living for his own flesh. He crashed his motorcycle, landed on his head, wasn't wearing a helmet, because he didn't want to wear a helmet, and died. This guy. They brought him to the morgue, declared him dead. No, nothing going on in his body, no brain waves, no heartbeat. He was a total disaster because he had smashed his face and his head. They put a sheet over him and they took him to the morgue, this guy. 
And he, the person didn't have the key to open the door to the morgue, classic Dominican world, searching for who had the key. And while they had him in the hallway under the sheet, he went to judgment in his soul. He said he saw his soul lift out over his bed, could see himself down there, went to heaven or to somewhere, and there was this long line of people waiting in line for judgment. And being a good Dominican, he didn't like the line, so he cut the line. Just classic. Cut the line, got up to where this guy was. He figures it must be Peter. Didn't know who this guy was. And the guy was there. And this is a man who's never been in church in his life. But it's a Catholic country. Maybe he heard something about this somewhere. He got up to the to the table and there was this man with a big book and he looked at him, looked at the book, looked at him, looked at the book, just kept paging and paging and paging. Finally stopped and said, Ramon, you aren't in the book. Ramon's like, it's, I, I gotta be in the book. He said, no, you aren't in the book. But then the man said to him, but this is not your day to die. And I have plans to send you as a proclaimer of my gospel to the nations of this world. This is a guy who has no desire with God. So I have plans and purposes to use you in the kingdom. And Ramon woke up on that gurney under a sheet. Sat up. Here's a guy that's bloody, broken, open head, and he sat up under the sheet freaked the guys to out. I mean, when the dead guy sits up, that, you know, sat up, multiple surgeries, they stitched this man back together. He found the church, gave his life to Jesus. He found Youth of the Mission, joined our ministry. I got to travel with him into North Africa. I got to go with this man who married a Lovely Christian lady. They've got kids now. They're serving the Lord. He's fulfilling the word of God that met him at his moment of death. And I just go, praise God. What a cool story. And I know this guy. But as I was thinking about Ramon, I thought, that's a very wild story that not many people get. Not many people get to have a second chance like Ramon has got. And as I just thought about today, I thought, you know, we can't close today without giving the opportunity for anybody who's not given their heart to Jesus to open their heart to him today. You know, all my life, the altar calls have been, God loves you, come receive his love. But there is the other side of it. Salvation is not simply I come to Jesus for fire insurance. I come to avoid hell, but it's a good thing to avoid. And I think we need to look at the sober reality of what Jesus and what the scriptures have said about hell so that we can honor how great a Savior we have that has come to save us. And it's not just about being righteous and living the good life, but it is totally about putting your faith in the Savior.
and the one that has come to set us free so that we don't have, we have to know about the reality of hell so we can say that's not where I'm going. And we also have to know about the reality of hell so it can help motivate us to be more bold in our witness. I think it can drive us crazy. I realize we can't control what people do around us. But if we lived fully in the reality and the truth of the reality of hell, we would live our lives differently. So if we just close our eyes. If there's anybody here this morning that says, pretty sobering talk, Pastor, but um, I want to choose. I do not choose a life apart from God. But I choose to follow the Savior who has come to save me from hell, to save me from perishing. If there's anybody here this morning that says, I've not really made that decision, but I'd like to do that, could you just raise your hand? Just look at me. So I don't miss you, just raise your hand. Anybody here this morning that just says, I choose Jesus this morning. I want to give anybody an opportunity if that's where you're at today. It may be that we've all made that decision, but if you have not and you're wrestling through that this morning, please come up to the ministry team over here by the cross afterwards. They'd be glad to pray with you. And Jesus, I thank you for the Savior that loved us enough to tell us the truth, that loved us enough to warn us of destruction, not just paint a pretty picture of the clouds, but to warn us of destruction, but to give us the joy and the glory we have in a Savior who has come and opened the door so that we can be saved. Father, we thank you that you are the judge, that we we aren't the judge of anyone, and we don't know the condition of anyone's heart. We don't know about those around us. We don't stand in judgment of others, God. We let you be the judge. But Father, we want in our hearts so much to be those who are followers of you, worshipers of you, that would give glory to you for saving our soul from a just sentence to hell. May the sober realities of that bring glory to you. We need you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word that we hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're our guest this morning, I'd love to meet you. We'd love to talk with you out at the welcome center.